Today we're going to talk about FOMO. How, how, many of you know what, how many of you know what FOMO is? The fear of missing out. That's right. Uh, hashtag FOMO. The fear of missing out. So we're going to talk about FOMO today. And uh, hopefully it will, uh, I, I mean, I needed a little comic relief right in the middle of the series. It's, it's just been hectic. How many of your life's just been hectic a little bit? Yeah, it's been a little crazy. Uh, so I, I won't be long this morning. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. No, but I won't. I won't. I really won't. And I just want to share with you a couple thoughts. And uh, just to center ourselves in, in, you know, in God's will and where he wants us. And how many of you feel like you just sometimes need recalibrated? Where, where the, the GPS, you go and you make another turn and it says what? Recalculating, right? Sometimes we just need to be recalculated. And that's kind of how I feel about uh, today's message. Maybe a little bit of a recalibration for some. And some of you, maybe you're exactly where... Uh, Charles, good to see you, man. Maybe some of you are exactly where you need to be and God has you exactly where uh, you think he has you and you're doing exactly what needs to be done. Uh, but I'm not that way all the time. Um, I feel like uh, sometimes those with... I, I saw a meme. Um, my wife showed it to me last night. It was uh, what we think depression... Talk about, talk about depression this week. It's hit hard for some, but what we think depression looks like, and it's a picture of Marilyn Manson. How many of you saw this meme floating around Facebook? So it says, what you think depression looks like, and it's Marilyn Manson. How many of you know who Marilyn Manson is, right? And it's this real gothic-looking picture where he's, you know, given his typical Marilyn Manson look. And then it says, what depression really looks like. And it was a picture of Robin Williams smiling. And that's the truth. That is the truth. Those that have to be topside, those that always have to have everything in order and everything in its place, that's really what depression looks like. Um, you know, people uh, who have the big personalities typically have the deepest depression. Um, so anyway, I thought that meme was good. But as I'm reading this, as we're in our next chapter, next verse, uh, it just really, it helped me recalibrate. It helped me gather my thoughts uh, and kind of on this topic of FOMO. CG, good to see you, buddy. Um, so let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Pray that God will do something in your heart and in your mind today, and then we'll go to the scripture. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for your grace. Father, so many people out of town and traveling, but yet there's still a crowd here in your house of faithful followers, Father, and I just want to thank you for that. I want to thank you, Father, for your goodness and your grace in our little church plant. As it flourishes, Father, and becomes what you want it to become, Father, help us not to lose ourselves in this process. Help us to find ourselves exactly in the center of your will. Teach us from your word today in your son's name. Amen. All right, let's go to Luke. Let's, let's throw the scripture up there. Uh, Luke chapter number 6, verse 12 through 20. I've got it on the screen today. If you want to, if not, turn to, turn to it in your, in your Bibles so you can follow along. But verse 12 says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray. And he continued all night in prayer to God. Remember when we talked about that, right? Uh, When it's time to make a decision. That was the the title. If you haven't listened to that message, go back and listen to it. When it's time to make a decision. um, Jesus spent all night in prayer when it was time to choose his 12. Verse 13, And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. And of them he chose 12. We discussed that there's many disciples, many people that were following him, but Jesus had a decision to make only choosing 12, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And of them he chose 12, whom also he named apostles. 
Does anyone remember what the word apostles means? Messengers. Those that would literally carry his message as if he was the one carrying it. Next verse, 14. Simon, whom he also named Peter. That was last week's message, right? Simon, whom he also named Peter. Who you were before Jesus found you and who you are in Jesus, right? And Andrew, his brother. We spoke about Andrew briefly. James and John... Those would be the first four. If there's 12, you have four, four, and four. You have the inner four, the inner circle. Those four were uh, the most mentioned, the most talked about. Um, The biggest, if you will, publicity about them were those four. Uh, You think about it in terms of Peter, right, the, the, the leader. Andrew, his brother, responsible for bringing Peter to Jesus, for bringing others to Jesus. Uh, we think of the, the boy with the five loaves and the two picks, fish. James and John. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, right? The, the sons of, of Peter is what that could be translated as when we're, when we're thinking about these 12 men that Jesus uh, selected. Um, so James and John were those sons of Zebedee, those sons of thunder, which gives us a, a, a kind of a peer into their lives. James and John were no slouches. They were very high energy, uh, get it done, took things personally. We found that. You even saw them in portions of the Gospels where they were jarring for leadership. Hey, hey, Jesus, uh, who will sit at your right hand? Remember that conversation that they had, right? Uh, they were interested in being in the mix. So those first four, you have four, four, and four. Those first four were the inner circle, the the leaders, and... and um, Luke puts it this way for a reason. Uh, look at the next one. Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas. The next four that you hear more about. You can probably pick out of the lineup little stories about Philip and Bartholomew who would also be named Nathaniel. Uh, if you think about that name being mentioned, Nathaniel, in other passages, the same guy. Uh, Matthew and Thomas, you can think about um, you know, stories of Matthew, other, other name would be found as, as Levi, who was a tax collector. And Thomas, who, who do you think of when you think of Thomas? Doubting, Doubting Thomas, right? Uh, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zealots, which we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Go to the next one, verse 15. And Judas, the brother of James, so there was a Judas that was not Judas Iscariot, and then number 12, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. Um, so there's, there's things that we're going to learn. I don't really want to get too much into John. I mean, we could really, we could spend years on just John alone, right? But eventually we're going to go through John's gospel, right? And preach through that verse by verse. So I'm leaving some things out that will come more into view as we preach on other passages. Um, but today, moving from these 12 into today's topic, uh, and then going into the Beatitudes, let's go from to verse 17. Look at it. And he came down with them. Who's them? The 12 disciples, the 12 that he just named. And stood in the plain. Now, we get context from other Gospels. It doesn't contradict, right? It explains and teaches us more about the situation. What we're gearing up to is the Sermon on the Mount. That's the passage that we're we're finding here in Luke. Luke is about to describe the Sermon on the Mount, which are those that are blessed and those that it is woe unto them. So the blessings and the woes for the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to spend probably a significant amount of time, maybe two, three weeks on that in the coming weeks. Um, but when it says stood in the plain, I don't want you to think like they came all the way down the mountain 
and they were in this wide open area. It's more or less talking about uh, a flat portion, Sermon on the Mount, in the mountain where he is now giving this message, the Beatitudes, right? You know, the famous message uh, to these groups of people that we see right here. And the company of his disciples, that's one group of people, the twelve, and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem, and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which was a seafaring community, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Verse 18. So, so you have the disciples, you have these different groups of people from Tyre and Sidon, those that came to be healed, and they uh, that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there were virtue, so, so uh, for there were virtue out of him and healed them all. Next verse. And he lifted up his eyes on his who? Disciples. And he said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now I'm going to stop right there. We're not going to get into the Beatitudes. We'll start that next week. But I want to bring the message to you. If you think about this, this one little spot here, first of all, where it said Judas Iscariot, you can go to the, the FOMO slide, Jose. I'm going to go to my text here. If you have your Bibles, you're looking there at verse 16 where it says, And Judas Iscariot, which, was, which also was the what? Traitor. So you have him a part of this group of, of, of 12 disciples. They come down the mountain to a, just more of a spot where they could stand right there in the plain, a flat spot where he could then give this famous message, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, right? And he stops here and, and he, he describes, Luke tells us who's there for the sermon, who's there for the message so that we can get a glimpse. It's a, a whole multitude of people. But he turns in verse number 20 and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. So the Sermon on the Mount was really directed to who? The disciples. So I, I immediately thought like, okay, alright, the twelve, the inner twelve, they, they're chosen. I mean, this was a game changer for them. Right, this was a moment of exclusivity. They're now with Jesus as his twelve. They're, they're going to get you know, a crash course in ministry over his next few years before his death. And, and it's going to be on for them, right? So you think of those 12, Jesus then turning and giving this message to them. You ever just know anybody who they always missed out? They were just never where they were supposed to be when they were supposed to be there. Anybody? Did someone come into your mind when I said that? That person who was always a day late and a dollar short. You know what I mean? The, the, those people exist. How many of you, that's you? <laughs> I could tell. You were like, uh-huh, here we go. How many of you, because, rhetorical question, but how many of you, because you have missed out on so many things in life where you feel like you coulda, woulda, shoulda, you have that fear that you're going to miss out on that next thing? Yeah. We deal with that. We deal with that in the core of our personalities and in the core of who we are. And the preacher is here to say with his theology, it's God's plan. And you're like, yeah, right. 
Sure, it's God's plan. Sure, it's God's plan for me to be dealing with what I'm dealing with now. And sure, it's God's plan for everything to be going great for them. And we can always go back to, sorry Brandon, but keeping up with the Joneses, right? We can always go back to that moment where it's like, they always got it together, right? And we feel like we're missing out on something. And I thought about this chapter, how it's shaping up on like the Sermon on the Mount. And I think we can all kind of track with Scripture in the way that, man, I can't wait to go back to the archives in heaven and be like, hey, can you play that moment where Moses got the Ten Commandments? Can you play that moment back where he smote the rock and he knew he wasn't supposed to? Just kidding. Can you go back to that moment where he killed that Egyptian? No, just kidding. I'm kind of morbid. No, but I... I kind of want to see it, God. I mean, it's crazy, right, the way he did that. Can you go back to that moment where where the Red Sea was parted? Can you go back to that moment where David killed Goliath? Think about the older brothers. Think about all those that now at that point, they feel like they could have been the one. Because at the end of the day, don't you think people realize that David didn't kill Goliath alone? Man, if, if I would have just stepped out. If I would have just been the one with the faith, if I would have just been the one to have just enough courage to put myself out there, but I was scared. And then you get fear on both ends because now you're scared that you're not going to have the courage to do it again when you should have done it in the first place, right? But I think about that as, as a situation like this. Here were the 12 up in the mountain, Jesus calls them and now they're with him and he's giving this message he turns to them i want to see that one day but i think about everyone else who was there who heard that matt ashley how are you good to see you i think about all those other people that were there for that message who didn't hear it from the perspective of a disciple and i'm not even saying that it was something they did so don't, you know, don't mistake me in, in that because the name I chose to talk about this morning to kind of glance over this but to give you the right idea is Judas's name. So if you look there in verse 16, and Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. I hope to give you some sort of ammunition today. I'm going to ask you a few, a few introspective questions, you know, where you're searching your heart. Where, where you can kind of figure out if you're where you need to be in Christ so that we don't have this fear of missing out on something that God has perfectly planned for us. Hashtag FOMO. I have fear that I'm not going to enjoy this coffee while it's warm, so excuse me. Mm. Here's my first question. You ready? I got 21. Just kidding. Here's my first question. Who are you? Who are you? Judas Iscariot was a what? Come on, he was a what? Turn to your neighbor and say, you traitor. (laughs) Say it like a pirate. You traitor. (laughs) If you had to pick one word to describe yourself, what would it be? One word. We all have no problem saying Judas is a what? Traitor. Who was the famous traitor in history? Benedict Arnold. We think traitor. When I say George Washington, what do you think of? One word. 
Leader, that's good. President. When I say, just kidding, I won't call you on the spot. What do you think of when you say your name? And we've been hitting this a lot this week. So last week we talked about names, so I'm not going to completely overlap with last week's message. But I think it's important for you to think about what you think about when your name is mentioned. Or, better yet, what other people think you are. One name. If you had to pick one name and describe yourself, what would it be? Chances are, that name of who you are is linked to your FOMO. Who you, are, who you are as far as defining yourself may be one reason why you have such fear of missing out of something. Maybe you're defined as something that is keeping you from what God's true and, and, and visible and apparent plan is for your life according to everyone else around you. But you're just missing it. Proverbs 21, 22, 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. So my point in context today is not the fear of missing out on finances, is not missing out on the lottery, is not missing out on that job opportunity. It's bigger than that. It's missing out on who God wants you to be, the plan God has for you, and being content in that plan. Proverbs, Solomon, the wisest man in all the world, says, a good name is rather to be chosen. It's better for someone to look at you and say, that name you have, that's a good one. Versus that name, if you have that name, it means you're rich. That's what he's saying. It's better for someone to think of you as a, as a good person, we'll just say it like that, than for someone to think of your possessions when they say your name. If that makes sense. The question that is begging is, are you significant? Church, think about this. If there was a mirror in front of every one of you, there'll be a TV in front of every one of you next week. Just kidding. (laughs) But if there was a mirror in front of every one of you, ask yourself this question. Am I significant? Say it. Are you? And Judas was a traitor. Was he significant? Sure he was. If Judas hadn't betrayed Jesus, then Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. But how many of you want to be Judas-type significant? (laughs) No. I think that was really bad English, but you know what I was trying to say. (laughs) I want to be Judas-significant. I want to be that guy that goes down in history as a traitor? No. But the point is, is some of you don't even see yourself as significant in God's plan. That's a problem. Fear of missing out comes because many of us think that we are only significant when we are in those moments of life. I'm only significant if I'm having fun with fill in the blank. I'm only significant if I'm doing those things with those people that makes me feel like I am important. This is a tragedy in our culture. And social media has created it, in my opinion. This is why I go through, like, for one, I, I try to go on my social media kicks, but at the end of the day, I'm like, I, I really don't like it. Because when I get on there, it's like, me and Dave, we talk about this a lot. You know how it's like, cancel the account, and then we get it back going, and we cancel the account. Why do people do that? Because inevitably, we see that there are people out there that are literally living and breathing for their social media profiles. And it's just, it's almost disgusting. 
It's like literally, you only have what you post. That is the depth of your life. That's so unfortunate. But that, that is solved and that is fixed when you look at yourself in the mirror and you can answer the question, yes, I'm, I'm significant. I'm significant regardless of how many Facebook likes and Twitter follows I have on this post or whatever. You understand what I'm saying? But you have to determine, who am I? Am I significant? Because if you can't answer those questions, then you're going to have some massive FOMO. Everybody say FOMO. FOMO. What does FOMO mean? Fear of missing out. You see, if we had a church full of people that are living in the moment, which is the opposite of missing out, right? I think we're going to have a church that's doing something for God. Next thing, follow me on on this logic here. So the question when it comes to who are you, what is the significant question to ask yourself? Am I what? Significant. Some of you need to write that down. Take that with you into your Monday morning devotions. That's the first thing. Are you significant? Here's the next question. Where are you? Who are you? I don't know. You are who people say you are. We've been singing this wonderful song that I am who you say I am. I'm chosen, not forsaken, right? All those great things. But hey, when the worship song dies down, when, you're, when, when your week is settling in on Monday morning and you've got to go to work, who are you? Are you the same person that we at church know that you are? Or is the, the word that comes up that we match with your name, is that not something that makes you happy? So start with this. Am I significant? The answer is absolutely yes. Why is that? Let me read this scripture before I move on. Romans 8.15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Your significance is linked to the fact that God loves you. He loves you so much that he has risked everything and put everything on the line so that you would become his child. God could look at each one of you. You know, when I look at my children and I tell Rainy, I love you so much. You are my baby girl. What does she do? I look at Ross and I say, you are my man, bro. It's just me and you. Huh. That's what he does. He just grunts. And then I say, River, come here, come here, come here, because she's always running around. She's so busy, I can't catch her. But when everybody else is sleeping, she's still busy, because that's River. And we have our moment where we get to cuddle on the couch, and I just say, hey, Daddy loves you. (laughs) She buries her head, right? The Father gives significance and worth, and I speak life into those children. That relationship, Jesus says, the spirit of adoption, that's so much greater. That means he didn't have to, but he did. I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to tell you how much you're worth. You're worth my only son. I could spend decades teaching on that one thing. But who are you? If you have not made it a priority in your life to find your significance and your worth in Jesus, you're missing out. The second thing, where are you? Now here's where I get super, I'm going to use a pop culture word, here's where I get uber practical, right? This is more like a a, a chat with you today. 
Um, and I may get excited in a minute, but the point is, is you have to answer these questions. Where are you? Where are you in life? Okay, who am I? Where am I? I am Matt Robinson. I am at 222 Carroll Island Road. Not necessarily what I'm talking about. That, that's a good place to start if you can't answer it the other way. But the point is, is where are you in life? Have you ever just woke up one day and say, what the heck am I doing? What am I doing? That's what I'm talking about. Are you doing what you love to do? How many of, don't raise your hand. How many of you in your mind, you can honestly answer that question? Yeah, I'm doing what I 110% love to do. If you're, if you're not, go back to question number one and let that define where you need to be, okay? But we're in the context of Jesus choosing 12 people. Think about this. The first four that are in the inner circle all were prosperous business owners. Every one of them. And in, the, in that moment, they gave up what many would say defines them. This is why I'm not talking about your job today. I'm not talking about what you do and how you earn your money. Because many of you have found security in that, and that has become your identity. That's a problem. So if you, if you can step back and understand that the 12 disciples, where were they? They were with Jesus. Not because who they were as far as their profession but because of who they chose to follow. Think about this. Their worth, their significance, was found in maybe their jobs, maybe their finances, but there came a time to forsake all of that, and I'm going to what? Follow. So think about this. Our proximity, listen to this statement. You can tweet this one, just kidding. Our proximity to his presence will be the extent that we experience him in our present. I thought about this one for a while. Think about this one more time. Our proximity, where we are, our location, our proximity to his presence will be the extent that we experience him in our present. How close are you to Jesus? How close you are to Jesus will be This is so profound, right? Will be the experience that you experience in the present. Here's what I mean. They chose to follow him. They chose to be defined by Jesus. So when it came time for one of the greatest sermons to be preached in all of Scripture, where were they? They were right there. He turned and he faced them. And they received his message. I want to be there. I want to be in the mix. I don't want to miss a word from God. I don't want to miss one day without being in His presence. And as I read this passage, the next few verses leading into the Beatitudes, I thought to myself, these disciples, they had to rethink their identity. They had to rethink who they were in Him. And look what happened. Their proximity to His presence determined the experience that they had in their present. They were there. They were filling themselves with his teaching. They were digesting. But you know what? There were hundreds of more people, thousands maybe, all around. 
But were they experiencing it the same way that the twelve were? No. My point of preaching the book of Luke is so that we all can be better Christ followers. So that we, because we know doctrinally we are called to be disciples. We are called to make disciples. We are called to reach this world. We're not called to just be the palsy. We're not called to just be the maniac of Gadara and come and get our healing. We're called to be healers. We're called to have the power. That's what Matthew 28, 19-20 is all about. Go ye! I've given you all the power in the entire world when I gave you the Holy Spirit. I'm not here to preach to you how to be on the fringes. I'm not here to preach to you to have a congregation of people that need healing and that that is all you're getting is healing. How many people that is all they get? They come to church and they consume. They come to church for their ailments to be taken away. I come here for healing. That's what I want. That's my point. In the relationship with God, when the Sermon on the Mount fell, there were those that were only there to just touch Him. So that the virtue would come out of Jesus into them and that their problem would be healed. I'm not interested in being one of those people I want to be one of the 12. My fear, my greatest fear, is missing out on what God has for me in my life. Greatest fear. My greatest FOMO. I want to be one of the 12. So what I'm saying to you is your proximity. Let's get get down to business. Mulan. Let's get down to business. John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Psalm 119, 105, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Philippians 2, 1 through 2, Paul said, If there be any consolation, if there be any consoling in Christ, if any comfort of love, watch this, if any fellowship of the Spirit, fulfill ye my joy. Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Philippians 1.27, and let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Let it be as it becometh the gospel. What does that mean? That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit. With one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Here's the point. God gave us His Word. God gave us His Spirit for us to fellowship in it. End of story. My proximity to the Bible, my proximity to the Spirit of God which is inside of me will determine how He affects my present. But unfortunately, we're a Christian who is living in the present without the Word of God and without the Spirit of God. Man, you're one of those that have come to Him for healing. You want the form of godliness but are denying the power that could live within you that could produce a change in you so that you don't have to miss out on anything. Wouldn't it be something if you felt like you were everything you needed to be in Jesus? If you were here today for the fellowship, if you were here today for the connection, for the prayer that we get together, and you were adding to that, and you felt like you were contributing to this relationship. When I come here in the morning, I know that I've got something for him, and he's got something for what? Me. I'm not just coming to him saying, 
I need to please. <laughs> can you please just, can you just pray for me? Amen. I, I mean, that's good. In the exchange, we have that. I give him the things that, that I need him to pray for. Why? Because he's been doing it a long time. And then sometimes he gives me the things he wants me to pray for. Why? Because he needs it too. But it's a fellowship. It's a cooperative program. It's not a one-way street. Jesus turns to his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount and he speaks to them. He's training them. But those that were there for other reasons, they were not getting it. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a difference between those that come here to worship together and those that come for the benefits of church. I think that makes sense, what I'm trying to say. I got 99 problems, but a disease ain't one. That's all that came to my mind, sorry. I got, and I knew it was the right time in the message. I've got so many things in my life that are wrong because of me. But a disease isn't one. What I'm saying to you, when those 12 disciples were standing there on the Sermon of the Mount in close proximity with Jesus, do you think that they didn't have problems? Yes or no? No. They didn't. Yes, you know what I mean. They didn't. They had problems. That's what I was trying to say. They had problems. Just because you're in proximity to Jesus doesn't mean all your problems go away. We sang the song, Blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and take away. But my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. It just means we understand that we are where we need to be. That's, that's another level of acceptance. That's called being a disciple of Jesus. Don't let your needs... Stay with me. Listen to this. Don't let your needs drive your relationship with Jesus. We are a very need-driven society. Last night, (laughs) I was hungry. And I had more sermon prep to do because I felt like I needed to go a different direction, which is how I often feel on Saturdays. Why he does it to me on Saturday, I don't know. But I thought, no, 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 I'm going to go this direction. Nine o'clock, I'm like, you know what, babe, I'm kind of hungry. I'm not going anywhere. Okay, but I had things to do, you know, things to do, things to read. Next best thing, Uber Eats. <laughs> so I Uber Eats because I'm a millennial or whatever I am. I don't know. So I order Uber Eats. Sarah, you want anything? No, I'm on a diet. All right, so an M&M McFlurry. Got it. <laughs> I'll take a chocolate shake and a, Mc, and a, Mc, a, a, a chocolate shake and a McChicken. I went with a McChicken. How am I looking, Jose? I'm still doing it, man. I'm, I'm feeling good. <laughs> but I'll take a big chicken and a chocolate shake and, and a large Coke. Because it's going to be a late one. Anyway, we're a need-driven society. We feel hunger, and all we have to do is open our phones and say, bring me this. And for $3.23, that driver, so that she gets a good review, is banging on my door. Hello, sir. sir. Ma'am, it's okay. I'm not going to put a bad review. Just hand me my food. That's all. No, no, stay right there. Don't. Uh, this is door-to-door service. <laughs> you know. Why? Because she knows that we are a need-driven society. If you can come up with an app 
that is going to make things easier for people, you are going to be a millionaire. How many of you know that's right? That's it. Who wants to be a millionaire? Everybody. <laughs> Let me just answer that question. We don't even need that question no more. <laughs> it should be, where's the line of people who want to be a millionaire? Next. <laughs> that's a stupid question, Regis. I don't even know who's... Is that true still on? Oh my goodness. Where's the line of people who want to be a millionaire? If you solve the problem and make things easier, you got the money. Uber Eats, what a great problem to solve. Here I am, I'm hungry, Dave. Now I'm eating a McChicken within minutes. <laughs> I love this. McDonald's is my favorite. Think about this. We bring that philosophy into the church house. We came this morning, some of you, with a need. I need this. If I don't go with my hurt, with my turmoil fixed, then me coming to church was for naught. Ah, that philosophy is crushing us. And here's where I think, here's where I think it gets even more practical. If you look at this story, and he came down and stood in the plain, the company of his disciples, a great multitude of people out of Judea and Jerusalem, Think about it. And from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him, and to be healed of their diseases. I'm not trying to minimize this, but listen to this text. 2 Thessalonians 1, 3-5 says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet or acceptable, because that your faith groweth exceeding, and your charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth so that ourselves glory in you in the churches of God and your patience and your faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye suffer. You have to think about the church in times past as a church where people were huddled in a little room Scared that they were going to lose their life. Scared that they would make it through the week because of their faith. They were putting themselves in harm's way coming to church. And we're coming to church. We're coming to the sermon with an ailment. That's the difference between those people who were healed and those people who made disciples. You're going to miss out on your relationship with God if you are not making disciples. Every one of us are called to reach other people. But the problem is, is we're trying to be reached what? Ourselves. How do we change this? How do we prevent FOMO in a spiritual sense? If you break out 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, there's really four things that Paul says in that one little passage that are so simple. Growing our faith loving our friends, there's hope in the church, and there's patience in the grind. You do all of these by being present, living in the moment. Listen to this, church. Social media can easily warp our perspective to be capturing the moment instead of living in the moment. What is your fear telling you today? What's your fear telling you? Forget it. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's time that we own the moment. 
it's time that we stop thinking about what we're not doing and start living in what God has given you to do. Philippians, I, I may end up getting it tattooed on my forehead because it's such an amazing verse. Let he which hath begun a good work in you, he will perform that until the day of Jesus Christ. So here's, I guess here's what I'm saying, Charles. Let's not come to church with a, with a personal need or agenda. Let's just come. Let's just come to be with each other. Let's just come to encourage one another. Let's just come to give someone else what they need. And watch this. In turn, you're going to get what you need. The fear that you have of missing out of what God has for your life is coming from the author of fear, the devil. You see, if it's something that God has planned, it will what? It will come to pass. So why are we so scared? We're scared because we're not growing our faith, because we're not loving our friends, because we don't have hope in the church anymore, and because we have no patience in the grind. None whatsoever. Let's just be real. Let's, let's, let down the, let's let down the curtain a little bit and let's just be real with each other. Why do you miss church? Why aren't you faithful? Why do you go weeks on in without? And then you show up needing it. Our priorities are just so out of whack. I think if I can come up with an app for church like Uber Eats, Uber Faith, I'm going to make millions. In that moment that you need it, we'll be there praying. Think about it. Dude, people be all over that. Why do I know that? Because Jesse Duplantis is buying another jet. That's why I know it would be successful. There's tele-evangelists all over. Buy this rock. I've prayed over it. <laughs> this rock. Put it, on, put it in your car. You'll never have an accident. Get this water. One drop every day. You'll never get sick. Dude, people would buy that stuff. <laughs> Holy water. Why? Because they're afraid that they're going to miss out on something. It's so foolish. I wonder, I've always wanted to sit here. I want, think about this. I wonder if one of the 12 was sick. We know that one of them was. He was a traitor. At some point, themselves, but for the work that God had them to do. I'm just trying to get you to shift your mindset. God promised to take care of all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Why are we worried about that? Here's what you should be worried about. Growing your faith. Growing your faith. Loving your friends. Have hope in the church. And have patience in the grind. To be super practical with you. Don't miss church. Don't not share your faith. Don't not pray. 
Don't not read your Bible. Just live in proximity to His Word and to His Spirit. And, and I, I just, I'm telling you, you will, it will blow your mind on how content you are. Oh, little Bella. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want us to think today, why are we here? Why, why am I here? Am I here for the right reason? Is your faith a personal experience that you have with Jesus? Or are you here for another reason? I just can't help but think about those 12 who had a different experience than the rest. We're not minimizing those that need healing. We're just trying to get your faith to that next level. Maybe the message today was for one, one person who kind of understands what I'm saying in that sense and you think, man, I've, I've been here for the, maybe the wrong reason. But here's the answer. I want to take my faith to another level. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to be in that moment with Him in every moment. I'm not going to have fear that I'm going to miss out because I'm right there with Him. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Matt, (laughs) I need help with my commitment and my relationship with Jesus. I want to have a closer proximity to Him. I want to be closer to Him. Okay, if if that's the goal, read your Bible and pray. Every day. I can't overstate that. That's growing your faith. How many say, I'm going to commit to do more in my personal relationship with Jesus? I'm going to commit to that, to Jesus this morning. Here's my hand. Boom. Yeah, buddy. Just take a moment and pray in your seat. Just take a moment. Solidify that in your heart.